Today we are jumping into 2 Samuel, the book of 2 Samuel. We're continuing to make our progress through the Word of God step by step, and, uh, and we're going. And so 2 Samuel is where we're going to be, and, and I want to talk today about the heart of worship, the heart of worship. Anybody known Jesus for a while that, that has sung the song, The Heart of Worship? Um, if you have sung that song, it's a beautiful, beautiful song. I'm not singing it today, but you know, it's a great song uh, to listen to. And um, I, I want to talk about the heart of worship today. You know, when, when we think about worship, a lot of times what we think about is we think about, well, this right here, the songs we sing, the instruments we play, and, and, and that's how so often we, we define worship. We define it in kind of a, a lot of external types of ways. But today, I, I, I want to get to something that is less external and something that is more internal, which is the heart of worship. Would everybody say the phrase with me together? Let's say it. The heart of worship. One more time, let's say it. The heart of worship. And to talk about this today, um, I want to jump into the story of King David who brought the Ark of God or the Ark of the Covenant to Israel or to Jerusalem, better said. You see, the people of Israel had been in the desert for so many years. And while they were in the desert, uh, they moved from place to place and the Ark went with them. But at a certain point, the Ark had made its way into Israel, but they had still not defeated the nation that was in the city of Jerusalem. And so if you read, I'm not going to read it today, but if you read 1 Samuel chapter 5, you'll realize that it is in that chapter where David defeats the people of Jerusalem and they take over the city. And that becomes the capital, the central city of the nation of Israel. And so he does this. And so what he wants to do afterwards is he wants to bring the ark, right? He wants to bring the ark of the covenant to Jerusalem and the ark signifies and literally carried the presence of God. Everybody say it with me, the presence of God. And so David wants the presence of God to be present in the central part of the nation of Israel, to be at the core of who they are. So we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 6 today, 2 Samuel chapter 6. And um, I'm going to go through this entire story beginning to end, but it's kind of in a couple of different parts. And so we're just going to jump into this and see what it says. It says, then David again gathered all the elite troops. Can somebody say with me elite troops? In other words, he gathered the soldiers. All right. But, but these soldiers are the elite troops, of course. And he has 30 thousand of them, right? So, so he's getting 30,000 of his elite soldiers to bring the ark to Jerusalem. This is absolutely important to understand what he's doing here. So he gets soldiers. And when you think of soldiers, you think of people that are strong. Everybody say it with me. Say the word strong. And, and, and so you're thinking about David and he's going, you know what, if I'm going to bring the ark, I need to make sure that the ark is protected, right? So, so I'm going to get all of these soldiers so that way we take care of the ark and bring it in so that everything is good. And so that's what he's going to do. Verse 2 says this, he led them to Bala of Judah to bring back the ark of God, which bears the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. In other versions, it says the Lord of hosts, but the hosts are the armies of God. And so he is the Lord of heaven's armies who is enthroned between the cherubim. So this ark, this box, which carries the Ten Commandments and some other items, is literally carrying the presence of God. God is enthroned there. Not physically, no, not visibly, but, but spiritually. He is present right there. And so they want to bring it back. And um, it says this in verse 3. They placed the ark of God on, what does it say there that they put the ark on? Uh, a what? New cart. A new cart. Everybody say it with me again. A new cart. The, the, this is so important, right? They, they weren't going to put the cart on like a 1972 Honda Civic, right? They, they, they want a new cart for it, right? That they want a new Ford F-150. 
Some people like Fords. Okay, a new Chevy Silverado, I guess. I don't GMC Sierra. I don't know, you know, something. But, but, but they want a brand new vehicle to put the cart on, uh, to put the ark on, right? Because they don't want it falling. They don't want it getting stuck. They want everything working. So they want the strength of 30,000 elite soldiers, and they want the strength also of having a new cart, right? They, they want to make sure that the ark is protected. That is so important. And it's so important to understand this story. So they placed it on a new cart and brought it from Abinadab's house, which was on a hill. Goes on to say, Uzzah and Ahio, Abinadab's sons, were guiding the cart that carried the ark of God. And it says about Ahio that he walked in front of the cart. So Ahio's in front, whereas Uzzah, Uzzah is walking alongside the cart. And it says, Uzzah and Ahio um, were guiding the cart. Yeah, the next verse if we could. Um, and David and all the people of Israel, what were they doing? What did it say right there? They were celebrating. Right? They were celebrating before the Lord, singing songs, playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. Now, if you look at this picture... It looks like everybody is worshiping, right? They are bringing the ark. They are singing songs. They are playing instruments. Man, this is like worship. It's like a church service that's going on right now. This is absolutely incredible what's happening. And so they're excited and they're happy and great things are happening. And, and then we get to verse 6 and it says this, but when they arrived... Actually, I'm going to ask everybody, read, read this verse with me. Let's read it together. But when they arrived at the threshing floor of Nacon, the oxen stumbled, and Uzzah reached out his hand and steadied the ark of God. And now I, I want you to track with me here. So, so he's got 30,000 soldiers to do what? To protect the ark. He's got a new cart. To do what? To protect the ark. And Uzzah does what? He reaches out his hand when the oxen stumbles in order to do what? To protect, right? To steady, to protect the ark of God. Because God is important. How many believe God is important? So, so this is great, right? He's got the soldiers. He's got the new cart. The oxen stumble. Uzzah reaches out protects the ark they're all worshiping singing they got tons of instruments and then we get to verse 7 and it says this then the lord's anger was aroused against uzzah and god struck him dead what wait, wait, wait a minute like we got everything figured out we're bringing the ark on a new cart we got all the soldiers uzzah's helping out you know, when, when something wrong happens and God kills them? Then this doesn't seem to be fair. This doesn't seem to be anything like God honoring the worship of his people. What, what, what is going on? And he struck them dead because of this. So Uzzah died right there beside the ark of God. I mean, like, puts his hand out, boom, dead. He couldn't even walk five feet away. It's really interesting because Uzzah's name literally means strength. Everybody say that word with me. Say strength. You see, the entirety of David's plan here was based off of strength, but not God's strength. No, no, no. It was based off of their strength. I'm going to bring 30,000 elite soldiers. Our strength. Our strength. We're going to get a new cart. Our strength. Uzzah, whose name means strength, is I need to help God out because he's about to fall. Can you listen to that for a second? Let me say it again. I need to help God because God is going to fall. As if God needs our help. This is actually really important because if you remember, if you've been coming regularly, you know that maybe about a month ago, more or less, I preached from 1 Samuel, and, and, or no, I'm sorry, I think it was in the book of Judges, and I preached a message about how the Philistines had taken the ark of God in a battle, and then their, 
god Dagon fell to the ground. And so the Philistines sent the ark back on a cart. They sent it back led by some animals, some oxen. And those oxen were not led by anybody, but those oxen drove the cart straight into the nation of Israel, meaning that the literal spirit of God told the oxen where to go. Now, let me ask you a question. Do you believe that God needs our help? The answer to that, absolutely not. And that, my friends, was the problem. Because while on one side they said that God is the all-powerful God, on the other side they were saying, but God needs our help. That was the problem. Uzzah was like, no, you know what, I, I, I need to take care of the ark. As if God could not cause it to, I don't know, levitate if he wanted it to. I mean, God is God, right? He could do whatever he wants to do. God is all-powerful, omnipotent. Let me be very clear in what I'm saying. God doesn't need you. Is that clear enough? He doesn't need you. He does want you, yes. He does desire you, absolutely. But does he need you and I? Absolutely not. As if God shows up to me in the morning, like on Monday morning and goes, hey Jeff, can you spare me $20? God, God doesn't need anything from me. He made me. I need everything from him, but he needs absolutely nothing from me. It is the nature of who God is. He has everything. Is anybody grateful for that? And because of that, their worship was wrong because their worship was based off of their own assumptions of something that God needed when in reality God needed nothing as if they were doing God a favor, as if they were helping God out, as if the same ark that had been in the Philistines' hands that caused for the Philistine god Dagon to fall on its face and break into pieces, and the Philistines sent it back as if that same ark needed David's help with 30,000 soldiers. Literally, the ark got back to Israel all on its own before. And now all of a sudden, God needs help. No. No, he does not. And so this was the problem of Uzzah, was believing that it was his role and responsibility to somehow help God. So in reality, while it looks like Uzzah was helping, respecting God, in reality, he was disrespecting who God really was because God is all-powerful and Uzzah would not recognize God for who he was. That's an important thing about worship is to truly understand who God is and to recognize him for who he is and honor him for who he is. Is anybody with me on that? I'll take it. And so this is the first part. Then we get to an interlude right after this, the, the, this part starting in verse 8. Um, anybody know what an interlude is if you've been to a play before? Between the first and the second part, they have what's called the interlude. Um, a lot of times that's also in, in music and different songs that you might listen to, like classical music. There's what's called an interlude, which separates different parts of the music or different parts of the play. If you've ever been to a long movie, you have wanted an interlude so you could go to the bathroom or get something and drink, right? Um, but they don't give it to you, you know, so you miss out. But... Um, this part is a little bit of an interlude in the, in the story between the first and the second part. Watch what it says. David was angry because the Lord's anger had burst out against Uzzah. He named that place Perez Uzzah, which means to burst out against Uzzah, as it is still called today. Then in verse 9, it says David was now, what is he? Afraid. David was now afraid of the Lord, and he asked, how can I ever bring the ark of the Lord back into my care. Well, what David is really saying here is, not, not ever, but, but he's really saying like, how do I do it? Like, I, I tried it already. I got 30,000 soldiers. I got a new cart. Uzzah was right there. We were singing. We were worshiping, right? We had all the instruments. We were doing all of the stuff, and it didn't work. God still killed somebody. And if all of that didn't work and God still kills somebody, then I have no idea what to do to get the ark back. He's just like, I'm done. I'm done. I don't want anybody else to die. Maybe I'll die next time. You know, like, so, it, yeah, just not going to happen. And so this is what ends up happening in verse 10. It says, so David decided not to move the ark of the Lord into the city of David. Instead, 
he took it to the house of Obed-Edom of Gath. Now watch this, verse 11. The ark of the Lord remained there in Obed-Edom's house for three months. Everybody read the next part with me. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and his entire household. Wait a minute. The ark of God is there at the beginning of the story and kills a guy. And now it's at somebody's house for three months and it only leads to blessing? Which one is it, God? Do you want to kill people or bless people? Like, what's the deal? Well, the problem was simple. Again, that Uzzah did not respect God for who he was, neither did David. It did not honor him for who he was. And so the end result was Uzzah's death. But when it entered into the house of a person that respected and honored, and I'll talk about what that means in just a moment, but into the house of a person who respected and honored the presence of the Lord, the presence of the Lord blessed their house. And I want you to know that when you honor the presence of God in your life, he will bless your life as well. He will bless your family. And so this is what happened. So in verse 12, then King David was told, I, I want you to think about this. King David didn't ask. He wasn't out there wondering what was going on. In fact, it kind of seems like David had just forgotten about the ark and just kind of leave it there and let it do its thing. And I'm just going to do what I need to do. But then they come to David and they tell him this. The Lord has blessed Obed-Edom's household. And read the second line with me, everybody. And everything he has... Because of the ark of God. Do you realize how good the presence of God is? Not only did it bless every member of his household, it blessed everything in the house as well. The pots, the pans, the cups, the, the chairs, the beds, the, everything was blessed by God. I want you to understand how good God is. He doesn't just bless people. He can bless everything around you as well. And so Obed-Edom was abundantly blessed, and they come and tell King David that, that, that he's been blessed. And so this interlude leads us to the second part of the story in verses 13 to 15. And before I go there, I, I, want, I, I want you to stop and think for a moment that he's already tried this one time, right? He's already tried to bring the ark. Now that he realizes that God's presence also blesses people, he wants to actually now bring the ark. But the question is, how do you do it? How do you bring the ark the right way? How do you worship the right way? How do you honor God the right way? What is the true, the real heart of worship and we had the songs we had the instruments we had everything the right way and somehow it didn't work listen I, I i remember this i was when i was just starting out as a pastor there used to be a time many many years ago hundreds of years ago i mean maybe even a hundred years ago where most churches well, at least hundreds of years ago would have done singing and worship only with voices. There would not have been instruments in some churches. And then eventually, as it happened in history, uh, churches started getting pipe organs. Anybody know what a pipe organ looks like? It's, you know, it's the front of the big churches and it's all these pipes and you have a, a, a person that really knows how to play the organ and, and it's an amazing, incredible thing. I've never played one, but it would be incredible to do that someday. And then churches had pipe organs and they had choirs, choirs with pipe organs. And then somewhere around the 1960s, somebody decided they wanted to add like a guitar into worship. Oh, and man, when guitars came into worship, it was like from the devil. It was like, how can you put a guitar into worship? Worship is singing and pipe organs. That is real worship. Put a guitar into it. Well, that happened before I was born. But then eventually, a little while after that, some person decided, well, if we got the electric guitar, you know what we need to add in? The drums. Oh, and the drums were even worse. The drums were like from the pit of hell. It was like you have literally brought, not only are the drums from the devil, you have brought the devil into your church if you have a drum set. And some people have been around church long enough to know that that was the case, absolutely. And I read about that and studied it. I never had an issue with drums, but, but, but I read about it plenty, and it was um, a really big deal for some people. Because the problem was, 
was that worship became about these external things rather than the heart. It was never about what instruments you had or don't have. It was never about whether you sang or didn't sing or whether you had a pipe organ or something else. It was about something much, much deeper. And so the problem was that David thought they had all the prescribed right ways of doing things, but they didn't. He had to figure out the right prescription. But in figuring out the right prescription, which is where we're going next, what I want you to understand is that it's less about the prescription and it's more about what it means. About what it means. It's not about the thing, it's about what it means. And so we go to verse 13. And I want you to read this first part of verse 13 with me. Let's read it together. After the men who were carrying the ark of the Lord. Okay, stop. After the who? Hold on a second. Because before, the ark had been placed on what? A cart. But now it is being carried by men. See, this is completely different. Because the presence of God was never meant to be carried on a cart. It was always meant to be carried by God's people. And God, if you, if, if, if you want to have a heart of worship, it begins with a life that carries the presence of God every day of your life. A, a choice inside of you that says, I want God's presence in my life. Does anybody desire that? And, and that says, it's not about the style, it's not about the things, it's about God himself being present in my life. This is the difference. This is what made all the difference. No longer carrying the presence of God on a cart, but understanding that they could carry God's presence. Not because God needed their help, no, but because they were privileged to receive the presence of God. Let me also say it another way. Is that having a heart of worship doesn't begin with you. Doesn't actually begin with your actions doesn't begin with anything you have to do. It actually begins with you simply saying yes to the presence of God in your life. Of you saying, Jesus, I, I receive you today and every day, and I want to walk with you every day of my life. I need you present in me every single day. And let me make it clear, this is so important, because the reality of this is that a lot of times in church, we will we'll look at certain people and go, oh, you know, that pastor, that leader, they, they really got the presence of God with them. Or we'll look at a prayer warrior and we're like, oh, man, they are anointed. They pray so good. And they really got the presence of God. Can I just tell you right now that all of us in this room have access to the presence of God? It is not for one select group, for one person for one position no it is for every person that calls on the name of Jesus you have the presence of God in your life and so it begins there the heart of worship begins there as a people that walk with the presence of God can anybody say amen and then it says that they would go six steps everybody say six steps Six steps, and they would stop. And it says, David sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf every six steps. Can you imagine how long it took them to get to Jerusalem at this point? Because every six steps, they would stop and sacrifice. Stop and sacrifice. Every six steps, recognizing the presence of God. If you could make it a consistent habit in your life, not just to pray one time for God's presence, but to entertain God's presence in your life every six steps of your life. Every day, when you wake up, when you go to bed, in the middle of the day, that you would make it a consistent habit of saying yes to the presence of God in your life. It will transform you in ways you can never imagine. But every six steps, what would they do? They would offer a sacrifice. This is the second thing. The first one is living a life of carrying the presence of God. The second thing is now sacrifice. But understand this. I want to make this absolutely clear. It's not sacrifice first. It is carrying first. 
Don't think that God is some mean, horrible God that is saying, I will only give you my presence unless you sacrifice enough times because this sacrifice has two meanings. Is everybody ready? The first one is the understanding that Jesus was the sacrifice for us and that it is Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us that allows us and opens the door to us to carry God's presence consistently every day of our lives. Is anybody thankful for Jesus? And that is so important for each and every one of us. But there is a second meaning to this idea of sacrifice because again, they were sacrificing every, how many steps? Six steps. Man, it probably would have taken them about an hour just to get from one side of this sanctuary to the other side for how much they were stopping and sacrificing. And the reality is scripture gives us a picture of this, of what sacrifice should look like in our lives. Yes, Jesus was our sacrifice on the cross, but is there a sacrifice you can give? And the answer is absolutely yes. What is that sacrifice? Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 12, verse one, where he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is your spiritual act of worship. Paul makes it clear that the sacrifice we offer to God is not a sacrifice of an animal, but it is the sacrifice of our lives. Not to die, we are a living sacrifice. Everybody say living sacrifice. It's not like we're offering ourselves up on an altar and God's like, I'm done with you. No, <laughs> no. We offer ourselves as a living sacrifice to him. And we say, God, my life belongs to you. I, I have found myself a lot recently Praying these types of prayers to God consistently every day. God, I submit myself to you today. I humble myself before you. God, I give all of myself to you. You are worthy of all of me. Is it just a, a, a rote or routine thing that I'm saying just to say it? No. No, what I'm doing is I'm affirming the reality of where I want my heart to be at every single day. Am I making sense to anybody? And then when I get up in the morning and I pray in the morning and I say, Lord Jesus, I submit myself to you. I am actually making a conscious decision to offer myself as a living sacrifice to God. My life belongs to you. All I have is yours. Do with me all that you want to do, God. You're in charge. And let me tell you that that will develop a heart of worship inside of you. It's less about the singing. You could sing every single Sunday just like David and the others sang, but somebody still died. You could sing every week, but if there is not a heart of sacrifice that gives ourselves to the Lord, then you will never get the heart developed as a worshiper as the Lord desires for you to have. Oh, does the Lord love you? Absolutely. If you believe in Jesus, are you on your way to heaven? Absolutely. We're not talking about that. We're talking about having a heart of worship and who wants a heart of worship? And so it comes from receiving the presence of God and then giving ourselves completely over to him. Are, are, are you the type of person that loves the Lord? Yes, but you got some areas that you're still holding back. Things, people, attitudes, whatever that looks like, but you're still holding those things back. And God is saying, if you wanna have a true heart of worship, it's not about how good you play, how good you sing, the types of clothes you wear. It's are you willing to submit all of those things to me that you have been holding back? Will you give them up? That, my friends, is a heart of worship. Can anybody say amen? Verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his what? With all his might. With all his might. All his might, all his strength. You know, this isn't a dance contest. I'm not bringing anybody up to see who's the better dancer, you know, before the Lord. And you are the true worshiper if you dance really good. I have no idea if David was a good dancer. I mean, he was a musician, so he probably had some good moves going on. But the key here is not that he danced. The key is that he danced with all his might. 
Nobody's going to stand here and look at you and judge you whether you're a good dancer or whether you move your hands up and down a hundred times during a worship service. But the question you need to ask yourself is, do I follow, simply put, the first commandment, the most important commandment? When they asked Jesus what it was, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you give all of it to God? Mentally, emotionally, physically, all of it, 100% of it. God, I will, I will dance before you. If you are the type of person, even in a worship service like Sunday morning, that's more concerned about what other people think about you if you were to do something, then maybe the Lord is sending a message to you. That it's not about the outward thing, but it is about the inward attitude of the heart that's concerned about how other people perceive you to be. Am I making sense for anybody? That, that, that you kind of hold yourself off because, oh, I don't want to be like too spiritual, you know, those types of things. I, I don't want to like look like one of those crazy people over there, you know, that, that just move a little too much, you know. No. I'm not telling everybody to get up and dance, but what I am saying is that might you consider that to love Jesus properly and to live out a heart of worship is to give all that we have to him in mind, in spirit, in body as well, all of it, all that we have. And David exemplifies this. And then it says right at the end of this verse that he was 14, if we still could, it says right at the end, he was wearing a what? What does it say? A priestly Garment. This is really interesting because David was not the priest. There were priests, there were prophets, there were kings. David was a king. He wasn't the prophet, he wasn't the priest. But if you actually read about the life of David, you actually realize that he is a type of Christ because he actually ends up as the king doing some priestly things and some prophetic things as well, especially in the Psalms, the songs that he had written. And so we see David exemplifying all three of these, even though he was specifically assigned to only one position. This is really important. If you're still with me, say amen. I want you to get this. And so David understood this. He understood that even though his position and his title was not that of a priest, he still wore the priestly garments. Why? Why? Because he prophetically understood something. He understood who God had called his people to be and who God calls you to be as well. Peter talks about this in the New Testament. He says that we are a holy nation. We are the special possession of God. And we are a, watch this, a royal priesthood. Everybody say it with me. Royal priesthood. Royal meaning king and priesthood priest. This is exactly what David is showing. He is setting the stage to show to you and me that we as well walk in the authority of God and we walk as priests who get the privilege to carry the presence of God and to fully interact with all that God is in our lives. Amen. All of it. And David understood this. And this is what God invites us to do. You want to have a heart of worship? Then do this. Fully involve yourself in all that God has placed in your hands. Become all that God desires for you to be. You will have a heart of worship. Verse 15. So David and all the people of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouts of joy and the blowing of ram's horns. Did you notice he changed the instruments? He had cymbals and, you know, harps and lyres and all these things before, and now he just got a bunch of ram's horns and he started shouting. It's like, how about a worship service like that? Just horns and shouting. That would be like the most non-melodic service ever. Um, but that's what they did because it's not about the style. It's about the heart. And something had changed here. And so then we continue on and in verse 16, it says, But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. By the way, I used to always say the name Michael, okay? That sounds like Michael, you know, but it, you confuse it with the guy, right? So, but it's actually pronounced Michal. Everybody say it with me, Michal. 
and, and they call the daughter of Saul looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, everybody read it with me. What did it say? She was filled with contempt for him. What? They were just, just worshiping. He's bringing the ark of God back to, or to Jerusalem. But why is his wife, the daughter of Saul, filled with contempt for David? And this, the, the, this story is, is really, really interesting, and we're going to get to that in just a moment. But verse 17 says the following. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside this special tent. David had prepared for it, and David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. Then right after this it says, when he had finished his sacrifices, everybody read with me, what did it say? David blessed the people. He blessed the people. He blessed the people. Can I tell you right now that if you get a heart of worship, the way that you will externally live with others is that you will end up blessing people. If you don't live a lifestyle of blessing others, then you might have a heart problem in your worship. And I'm not saying that judgmentally, but what I am saying is that the reality is, is that the interior worshipfulness of our hearts will automatically lead to exterior actions of blessing others. Oh, how I want to be a person who blesses other people. And then it doesn't stop there. Verse 19 says this. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. So not only does he bless them verbally, but he is generous towards everybody. Let me just tell you that your generosity will also show your heart for Christ, your heart of worship. You know why? When people say, oh, I, I'm committed to the Lord, but they don't know how to treat people. I go, well, you're committed to the Lord like cerebrally, mentally, like you understand who God is and and you're like, yeah, I'm committed to him. But on a heart level, it's a completely different story. Because the first commandment, which we already said, the greatest one that Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Jesus then adds on. They only asked him for one commandment, but Jesus adds on a second and says the second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Meaning if you get the first commandment right, naturally, you will flow into the second commandment. It will be the natural outflow of living properly in the first one. A heart of worship will naturally flow to being generous towards other people. Why? Because when you encounter the, the revelation of God's generosity towards you and Jesus dying on the cross and how much God blesses you and living with his presence, he generously gives his presence to us. And the more that you encounter that, the more your natural tendency will be to receive the generosity of God and do what? And then to give generously to others. That is the external view that shows a person who has a heart of worship. It's that they are generous people. But not only with others, verse 20 says this, when David returned home to do what? To bless his own family. My friends, if you have a heart of worship, you will also be a blessing to your own family. You won't just be a blessing to those outside. You won't just be a blessing to those at your workplace. You won't just be a blessing to those at the church. You'll be all of that. But you will also be a blessing to who? Your family. And so David shows up because he wants to bless his family. The party is done. And he wants to make sure I'm not going to bed yet. I want to get home and I want to bless my own family. I bless the people, but I want to bless my family. You know, there's a lot of people that, that, that get into these contradictions or these 
separations and think, well, you know, family is this thing over here and church is this thing over here and work is this thing over here. And they're like all these separated things. Can I just tell you something? When you have a heart of worship, your natural tendency will be to bless and be generous in every location where God has placed you. It it will just naturally flow out of you. It'll just be who you are as a person. And so David was this, because he had a heart of worship. He blessed the people. He goes home to bless his family. And so he gets home to bless his own family. And it says, Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. He's in for it right now. Second part, if we could. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person would do. You can actually tell from the get-go that, that Mikal is being very sarcastic with him. When she says how distinguished, she's not honoring him. She's like, oh, my husband is so distinguished. No, no, no. She, she's saying it sarcastically. She's telling him you are not distinguished. You did the exact opposite of distinguishing yourself. What is going on if you've never read this story or understood it? Let let me explain it to you. You see, a king naturally had his clothing that belonged to him as a king. So when he would present himself in front of people, there was no doubting that David was the king because he had kingly robes and kingly clothes. But when he was worshiping God, when he was with the people to honor God, he no longer was wearing his kingly clothes. In other words, David looked like any other random person would. When she says any vulgar person, that's what it really means, is he just looks like any other guy out there. No difference. David is not special. He is not stepping up as the king in front of the people. And she has an issue with this because David makes himself normal when he's at home with her. But in front of the people, David's not allowed to be normal. He's supposed to be the king. But here's the problem that she didn't understand. David was not there for the people. He was there for God. This was a thing of worship. It wasn't a thing about impressing the people. If we could understand this, that worship, you, you cannot bring your titles to worship God. God looks at your titles and he goes, and I'm the one who gave it to you. That doesn't impress me at all. I don't come to God in the morning as pastor. I don't say, Lord, I come to you right now as Pastor Jeff Toll. And I, um, as a pastor, am submitting myself to you. I, as a pastor, come to you. No, 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 what? What are we talking about? When I come to God, I just come as Jeff, as a son of God. And can I tell you today that there is no title and there is no position and there's no amount of money or resources or relationships or success that you can bring to God that would ever impress him for anything. But my friends, my identity is not those things. It is the fact that I am a son or you are a son or a daughter of God. That is more than enough for us. And that shows a heart of worship. It's not what you bring to God of the things he's given to you. Will you just bring yourself? And so David, he he realized, I can't come before God as a king. I can only come before God as David. That's just who I am. Who cares? I'm not here to impress anybody. I'm not here to put on a show for people. I am just here to worship. And so he steps in, and this is what he does. And Michal is like, "Uh uh-uh. She is jealous. She is jealous. She's going, even the servant girls, right? She didn't say the servant, the men. No, 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 just the servant girls, right? She's absolutely jealous. She's like, they got to see David like I get to see David. And so she's jealous. And what's her issue? Her issue is simply put, she doesn't have a heart of worship at all. So she can't detect or appreciate or understand what David is doing. And mind you, David came home to do what? To bless his family. But Michal wouldn't let him bless his family. She wouldn't let him. 
In fact, I, I think this is so important. If you and I don't get a heart of worship, we might miss out on the blessings that other people led by God want to give to us because we mistake their worship for something else. We interpret their worship through our own filter and our own lens of what we believe it needs to be. She was more concerned with protocol than she was with God. And um, she says this, David's response to her is he goes, I was dancing before the Lord. He kind of gets back at her a little bit. He goes, I was dancing before the Lord who chose me above your father and all his family. David's like, score. But, but, but you need to understand something here before I read on. Understand something. You see, it was the natural way of kings in those days that if a king arose from a different family, they would kill all the family members of the previous king so that none of those family members would try to take their throne from them. So you know what could have happened to Michal? She could have been killed. In fact, if you think about it, you see Saul, her father, the first king of Israel, had given Michal his daughter to David. This was David's first wife. While Saul was running after David to try to kill David, if you've heard my messages the past few weeks, what ended up happening was Saul actually gave Michal, David's wife, to another man. Like said, hey, you go with this dude. And so that's where Michal was. But then when David becomes king, what he does is he could have very easily been like, well, Saul sent her with another guy. She belongs to Saul, so you know what I'm going to do? But that's not what David did. What David did is he actually called for her to be brought back to him because he honored her as he should as his wife. He chose to respect her and to honor her. But here is Michal who has been respected, who has been allowed to keep her life instead of being killed. And David gives her a place of prominence, yet she's still bitter and jealous and doesn't have a heart of worship at all. And so David responds how he responds, and then he says this, he appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before who? Yeah, not before the people. No, no, no. My celebration is for the Lord and who he is and what he has done for me. And then he says this. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this. Even to be humiliated in my own eyes. Everybody read the second sentence. But those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am what? Distinguished. He's using the exact same word as she used. She was sarcastic about him. He's saying, "What? And I want you to capture this. He's saying, let me be clear to you. My worship will distinguish me more than my position ever will. Would you get this today? If you want the world to recognize who you are, it won't be based off of even all the blessings you get. It will be based off of the type of worshiper you are. And as you worship the Lord faithfully, oh, you will be distinguished in the eyes of everybody around you. God will do something in you that everybody else will notice, that they will see, because you worship. And so David understood this. And then it ends with verse 23. So Michal, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. In fact, if you uh, look up every verse where Michal shows up, and I did that just to double check, um, she never had a kid. She was the first wife of King David, but she never had a kid. And in this case, not in every case, but in this case, it was because of her dishonor that she brought to a man who simply wanted to worship. And this isn't a man, man or woman thing. You could switch the genders and have the same problem. But here's what I want to end with and tell you today. That when people 
want to get you to stop worshiping. Keep worshiping. When people look at you and say, well, that's the wrong way to do it. Okay, just, 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 let me tell you, just keep worshiping. When people are judgmental, like, no, but that's not the right one. You got to do it. No, 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 just, 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 just keep worshiping. When other people are trying to get you down, when people falsely accuse you, when people say things about you that are dishonoring, sarcastic. And let me tell you, I'm a very sarcastic person. Any sarcastic people in the room? Sweet. You can be my friends. I mean, everybody else can too. You know, it's okay. Listen, I, I love sarcasm. And if there's any sarcasm I use, I, I use it for myself primarily. So I speak bad about myself. Um, and, and I'll use it with other people that I know are sarcastic and you can joke around and have a good time. But, but to use sarcasm to hurt other people, which Mikal was doing, to hurt and offend her husband is unacceptable, right? And, and, and so what, what I want you to get out of this is that no matter how people speak to you, keep worshiping. No matter how people perceive you, keep worshiping. No matter what they say about you, keep worshiping. Keep honoring the Lord. Keep receiving his presence. Keep giving all of yourself to him. And my friends, the Lord will honor you as a result. Don't worry about what other people say. Don't let the Michals of your life, or the Michaels if it's a guy, don't let them stop your worship Keep worshiping, and the Lord will do what he wants to do in you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful and so thankful to you. There is no one like you, Lord God. And Jesus, today we understand and recognize that you have called us to have a heart of worship. Lord Jesus, you have called us and invited us to be a people that give ourselves completely over to you. And so, Lord God, today, Lord God, today, I pray that we would become those people, that we would be a church that is committed to carrying your presence and sacrificing our lives to you. And with all eyes closed for just a moment, I want to ask a simple question. Do you here today need to give your life to Jesus? Maybe for the first time, maybe you have never done that before. Maybe you today need to come back to Jesus. You know Jesus, but, but you've been kind of living, been living in your own direction, in your own way. And today you realize, I need to come back. I need to give myself fully and completely to him. If that's you, would you just raise up a quick hand right now? I just want to bless you. That's all I want to do. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you so much for raising your hand. May you experience the goodness of God right now. As you come to Jesus, as you say yes to Jesus, that you would walk in the fullness of all that God has for you, that you would experience his new life, that you would experience his grace, his mercy, and peace. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. Can we give one more applause to God? He is so good to us.